This morning's reading is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. So we're in the middle of a series called New. Last week we were looking at Jesus as the new Adam, and today we're going to be thinking about new calling. So let's pray. Lord God, open our hearts to your word. Help us to hear your voice to know all that you are calling us to. Help us to know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. There's a story of a Jewish photographer. And in the photographer's shop, on the back wall, had all of the different pictures that he'd taken. And a customer walked into the shop and looking up at the photo said, which one is your favorite? And came forward and said, are you married? And the customer, looking surprised, went, yes. And then the photographer leant in again and said, do you have any children? And the customer said, yeah, I've got three. And then the photographer said, and which one is your favorite? Questions engage our thought processes in a way that is far greater than a simple statement. And here in Exodus chapter 3, we're at the beginning of a long dialogue between God and Moses. And we'll see within this the importance of questions. The burning bush is a supernatural incident that catches our attention as we read the story and certainly caught Moses' attention as God was calling him. But it's the questions, the questions where Moses' calling is revealed. So let's have a look. Beginning verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So notice there, Moses is in the wilderness. And last week we were thinking about the importance of the wilderness, the importance of the desert place. The desert being a place of encounter, but also a place of preparation. In Acts chapter 7, in verse 30, as Stephen speaks to the Sanhedrin, we discover that Moses' period of preparation had lasted for 40 years. For 40 years, he served his probation as a shepherd of the sheep. But it was in preparation for being a shepherd of the people Israel. The other thing we notice here in this first verse, sets the context, is that Moses comes to Horeb. Now, Horeb is the region surrounding Mount Sinai. And within the story of Moses, mountains are important. It's here at this mountain that Moses will receive his call. It's also at this mountain where he'll meet with his brother Aaron. And when they lead the people out of Egypt, it's here at this mountain that they will camp for over a year and where God will give the Ten Commandments and reveal the law to the people. Mountains are important in the story of Moses, places of divine encounter. So verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So often we hear this story as the story of Moses and the burning bush. But in fact, really, it was the bush that didn't burn up. It's the bush that wasn't consumed by fire. That's what the word that's used there means. So it's, it's not so much the burning bush, but the bush that doesn't burn. The bush that's on fire. And I would imagine if you saw a bush that was on fire, but not burning up, you'd want to go over and see what it's all about. And that's exactly what Moses does. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. There's something about fire that draws our attention. One of my highlights for us as a family each year is that we go to my in-laws on, on, not usually on, but around bonfire nights. Sometimes we stretch that to the end of November, sometimes it's midway through October. But anyway, we go for bonfire nights and all the cousins absolutely love it. 
and uh, we have fireworks that are slightly underwhelming and sparklers that are good fun for kind of trying to write your name and you take the photo and you get that kind of thing where you get the light trail and that always looks good. But the bit that they enjoy the most, if I'm honest, is getting a stick and poking away at the fire and uh, stirring up all the embers and, and getting slightly too close and getting a red face. And we, there's something about fires that draw us. We're drawn to fires. But when we come close to them, we also know that we can't get too near. Because we know fires are dangerous, that they burn. And I think there's something interesting in the way that God reveals himself to Moses in a fire. It speaks of us being drawn to the Lord, but also knowing something of God's power and God's might. There's something awesome about fire. There's something terrible about fire. And when we see people having divine encounters in the scriptures, they're often struck with awe and, and even terror in, in the old sense of the word, in the sense of seeing the power and taking a step back. When the Lord saw Bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, if this bush that's on fire but isn't burning up wasn't remarkable enough, we now hear that the bush speaks. And the bush calls out to Moses. And the word that's used there is an interesting word. It's a common word in Hebrew, but it's more than just speaking. It's the word of calling. The word to call out, it means to summon. So Moses is summoned by this speaking bush that's on fire but not burning up. And Hebrew has different moods, the seven different moods. And, and the mood that's used here does simply mean to call or to summon. But it's also in another mood, in the pu'al mood, which is the passive intensive. That, when this word is used there, it's the word that means calling. It's the word that means to be called out. It's the word that means to be named or to be chosen. So this, this is more than a speaking bush. This is a calling bush. And I love the simplicity of Moses' response. He says, here I am. There's something there that speaks to us of how we're to respond to the Lord when the Lord calls us to simply show up and say, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I said last week how I came to faith in Aberystwyth. And um, it was an amazing time and an amazing place um, where God was at work. And then when I came to the end of my time at university, I didn't have a reason to stay. And if you've ever been to Aberystwyth, it's the kind of place that you need a reason to be there. And I had no reason to stay. And uh, we got married and we moved away to the northeast of England and we were working as youth and schools workers. But my heart and my longing was to return. And I didn't know whether that was just me or whether God was in that. And this is dating me and revealing my age somewhat, but this is before the days of social media and everything like that. And in fact, we didn't have the internet in our home. We still had one of those telephones that you turned around like that to dial it. Do you remember those ones? And um, the office that we worked in, the administrator there had the internet on a computer. And at lunchtime, she'd go out for her lunch and I would sneak into her office and I'd go on the BBC Mid Wales website because it had a webcam and you could see the sea at Aberystwyth. 
And every day I'd go on and, and look at the sea. And I had this sense of I just wanted to go back, but I didn't have a reason. But I had this longing. The Welsh word for that is hiraith. It, it speaks of more than, it's kind of more than a longing, more than a nostalgia. It's this desire for something of the past that maybe doesn't even exist any longer. But there's deep, deep yearning within. And I had that, and it turned out that it was God calling and we returned to Aberystwyth, and we had two wonderful years there where I worked for the church. And the Sunday I was commissioned, we were invited out to the front. And in this church that had been so important to all that God had done within me. And, and as we came to the front, and the microphone was placed in front of my mouth, and I was asked, what am I looking forward to in the role? I couldn't help but comment on the carpet. Because they had this thick red carpet. And as I stood at the front, I said, I feel I should take my shoes off. Which was a stupid thing to say. But, but there was this sense of... This was the place of God's presence, the place where I'd encountered God. And there was something of God's holiness that meant I, I felt like I needed to take my shoes off. See, it's not so much the place that's holy, but the presence of God. And Moses here is encountering that. The word holy means to be set apart. And Moses is encountering the presence of God. But at this point... He still doesn't know it's God. It's just a bush that's on fire, that does not burn up, that's speaking. And then, verse 6, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Here's the moment of revelation, where Moses realizes speaking to God. And Moses knew that you could not look at God face to face and live. So he hides his face. He, Moses knew and understood something of the transcendence of God. What that means is that God is above us. But then God was going to reveal something of his imminence, that God is close to us. The next verse we read. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out about their suffering. God is close to us. God sees, God hears, God is concerned. So God is both above us and close to us. He's transcendent and imminent. And then in verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Notice the movement there. It's not about us finding our way to God, but recognizing that God has come to us. It's not so much about us trying to reach up to God in the way that we live our lives, but instead about us rejoicing that God has come to rescue us. Now, you may have noticed at the beginning of the passage, it was the angel of the Lord that's described by the narrator as speaking. But now it's God himself speaking. So what's going on there? Well, this angel of the Lord is, is a kind of mysterious figure in the Old Testament. And many, many commentators see the angel of the Lord as being Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. Jesus before he took on flesh. And it's in Jesus that the transcendence and the imminence of God is reconciled. This mystery of how God is above us and close to us 
is made sense of in the person of Jesus. Jesus is transcendent because as John begins his gospel, he was with God and was God in the beginning. And Jesus is imminent. He's close to us because he took on flesh. Even though he was and is and always will be fully God, Jesus became fully human. And then in this voice that speaks from the bush, we learn something of God's heart. The next verse, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The Lord has a heart for justice. The prophet Isaiah, speaking and giving voice of the Lord, says, For I, the Lord, love justice. And I know here at St. Andrews that is something of your heart, something that you have grasped. The work of the network and the work of this parish and this church over the last 20 years and many years before that as well, I know has had a heart and a desire for justice. Verse 10. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we know that God sees and God hears and God's concerned. But here's the catch. God then says, so now go. How often in our prayers are we saying, God, do you see? God, do you hear? God, are you concerned? We're crying out to God for all the things we see around us. We're crying out for God for the injustices that we see within society. But how willing are we to hear God say, so now go? I don't know how Moses would have responded to that. Well, we do, because he says this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses was probably scared of Pharaoh's power. He was scared and fearful of the the scale of the task that was before him to bring a whole people out of a nation, to liberate them from slavery, and to take them to journey through the wilderness to the promised land. But we see that really the greatest fear, the greatest Insecurity for Moses is not the task or the opposition, but it's his identity. Because he says, who am I? Who am I? A hundred years ago, in most places, our identity is something that we would have received. Received through the place in which we were born and the place that we grew up. And quite often, the, the, the job that our parents did would have been the job that you'd born in a mining village and your parents were involved in mining, the likelihood is you'd have gone down the pits as well. And that would have been your identity as a miner. If you were born in a fishing village and amongst the people who went out to sea to fish, it's likely that you too would have followed on that tradition and your identity would have been found upon the waves as a fisher person. But today, for many of us, our identity is not something we receive, but something that we achieve, something that we gain through the qualifications that we we make or the places that we go, places that we travel to, 
the places that we settle in and we choose, identity is often achieved rather than received. What is the answer to this crisis of identity that Moses faces and possibly many of us may face as well today? Well, you'd expect God to say, look at your credentials, Moses. You grew up in the palace. You know the ways of the Pharaoh. You've spent 40 years in the wilderness learning how to shepherd. You've seen the cry of the people, the injustices that they're bearing under the hand of Pharaoh and enslaved, how they're ill-treated. Those are his credentials. But that's not what God says. Verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the answer to the crisis of identity. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. See, our identity is to be found in God because it's God who makes the difference. So when we face something that seems impossible, when we have opposition against us that seems too strong, we don't look to our human ability and our own strength, but we look to God in whom we find our identity, in whom we are known and loved and accepted. And so, if you're facing a crisis, if you're facing a challenge, if you feel you've got opposition against you, you need to know God. You need to pursue God, to encounter God in the scriptures, in prayer, in the breaking of bread, and in each other, amongst God's people. You need to know the Lord. And Moses' next question then follows on from that. Well, who is the Lord? Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? Who is God? Who is God? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. A strange way to describe and to define the Lord's choice of words there are, are, are unusual and, and, and interesting. I wonder how you would describe yourself. I'm going to do a little quiz just to check that you're still with me and no one's dropped off. I'm going to give you some Twitter bios and you've got to tell me who you think these people are. Okay, let's have a look. Right, first one. 45th President of the United States. It is Donald Trump. Well done. There we go. <laughs> Here's another one then for you. Once kicked a ball about, now talk about kicking a ball about. Gary Lineker, very good. Well done. Not even on Twitter. Well, there we go. Okay. Here's another one. Following Jesus, serving the Church of England, and worldwide Anglican communion. Any ideas? It's not me. It's not Tim Hughes. It is Justin Welby. Okay, here we go. Three out of three. 
Last one. Okay, there's definitely some people that should know this one. This one's a bit close to home, but here we go. Husband, dad, charity CEO, passionate about social justice, creativity, innovation. All rants are my own work. It is Rich Jones, yeah, CEO of the Community Network. Well done, very good. Now notice in those bios, they describe themselves either by what they do or how they relate to other people. And often if you were to think about how you describe yourself, you would probably talk about some of the things that you do or you might talk about the way that you relate to other people. But that's not what God does. Here we go, let's have a look at it. I am who I am. I am who I am. That, that phrase actually could be interpreted three ways. There's three different possible ways that we could understand that. The first one is, I have always been who I have always self-existent, consistent, dependable, never fails. Another way of, uh, is I am who I am. That speaks of how God is self-defined, not shaped by relationship or anyone beyond I will be who I will be, is another way of understanding that phrase. The one who determines the future and what matters in the future. This, this name, I am who I am, it, it speaks of, of God being immutable in character and being. Now there, there's a big word for you. Um, it, it, what that means is, is God is not in the process of becoming different. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And more than that, God then reveals to Moses God's personal name. Our final verse. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God reveals personal name there. Now, in our versions, have you seen in the Bible where it says the Lord, and the Lord is written in capital letters? Has anyone ever seen that before? We see it sometimes in the Old Testament, the Lord in capital letters. Now, that's there referring to, to God's personal name that's revealed in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures. And um, Hebrew it was written in consonants. And um, it's three consonants there that make up the name. Now, when the scriptures were read in the synagogue, when they came across the Lord's personal name, it was seen as being so holy, so sacred, that they wouldn't say the name. Instead, they would say the Lord instead. And in the 6th century, to make sure that as people stood up to read the scriptures, that they wouldn't make the mistake, they put the the vowels in underneath for the word Lord. Now, in the 16th century, when they were translating into English and they were trying to make sense of this word, they mistakenly translated it as Jehovah. But actually, the word really would be Yahweh. Yahweh. And in our modern translations, we substitute that for the word the Lord in capital letters, taking on this tradition that the, that the Lord's personal name is so sacred that we should not utter the Lord's name. We say the Lord, the Lord. The, 
The word there sounds like I am. That's the point. It's a, it's a short form of the name. The name that, that says that God is self-existent, self-defined, unchangeable. So know this today. That the Lord who called Moses, the God who is above us and close to us, calls us. Calls us. So I wonder today, what is the Lord calling you to do? What is the Lord calling us to do together in St. Andrews? What is the Lord calling us to do together in the new parish of Christ our hope, Liverpool? And as you think about that calling, some might have an answer straight away, and you know exactly what the Lord's calling you to. Others might know, but they you don't want anyone else to know. And I wonder what is it that's stopping you from responding? And maybe what is it that's stopping us from responding to the Lord's calling? It could be fear of all that stands against us, the scale of the task. It could be lies of the enemy that says, who are you? Who are you to be called by the Lord? It could be disappointment. Moses had seen the cry for justice before. Moses had tried to act. And in that action, had got it all terribly wrong and had to flee for 40 years in the wilderness, in obscurity. Moses had tried before and it ended in disappointment. And disappointment can bind us and hold us back. I know the last two or three years have been really tough. And particularly as the church, it can be a time where we carry disappointment with us. And maybe this morning you carry disappointment with you. But do not let disappointment hold us back from the Lord's calling. But know the Lord. Know the Lord. Don't look to your human ability, even though I know there are many, many gifted people here. Don't look to our human ability, to our natural ability, but look to God. Look to God. And look to God's promise. The promise to be with us as we go. God is above us and God is close. And God will be with us as we step out together. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we thank you that in you we have a firm foundation, one on whom we can depend. And Lord, when all seems uncertain, when all around us seems shaken, when we carry disappointment and doubt. Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to know you. Pray particularly for anyone who carries disappointment today. Lord, just as you unveiled the eyes of those two disciples on 
the road to Emmaus as they walked in disappointment. And then their eyes were opened and their, their hearts burnt as they met with you in the scriptures and in the breaking of bread. Lord, as we come to your table today, Lord, may we see you, may we know you, and may we be set free by you to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.